Rogers, how was your Easter weekend? Did you guys do any fun? Um, we did. We had it's Easter, so we we colored eggs on Saturday, and um, and then we we don't do traditional Christmas and Easter. We we kind of challenge our kids. It's kind of fun for us to torture them a little bit. <laughs> what so, about so they we have these little plastic eggs we've had for years and we hide the eggs but this year inside the eggs were letters so when they found all the eggs they had all these letters and they had to transition it to a phrase and the phrase actually told them where their easter basket treasures were hidden that's so, fun so they woke up and there was nothing for them for easter outside of empty baskets so how long did it take them too long <laughs> did they did they have to be like i'm giving up just tell me where it is tell me where it is yeah. Really it. yeah my my 10 year old finally said well we found we've got 11 of the 16 letters let me see if i can figure it out just with these 11 and he and he figured it out enough that they were the two of them were able to kind of piece together what the rest of it was so i love it i yeah, love it. so yeah, and then we played a little golf and got it to actually go outside a beautiful day and play nine holes golf. So we had, we had a good weekend. I know it was nice weather here too. Um, I mean, I don't have family here, so I spent it with actually our upcoming guest, Amy Sands, um, and then another friend of mine. And we went to brunch and then we kind of went back and did our own thing. And then, uh, you know, I went to the, the gym and then went out to dinner and probably the only egg-like tradition or Easter egg bunny type like tradition I, I put in place was I did order, they had these gourmet um, deviled eggs. Uh, like, like, you know, um, that's free, yeah. like the smoked paprika, yeah. and that, you know, all fish eggs and just, it was really bougie, but um, it was great. delicious. It was delicious. And then we got shrimp and grits. I mean, just a bizarre, it was this kind of Southern place. Yeah. We went and split after we got done working out. So that was that was fun, and then uh, came back and just relaxed and called it a night. So it was a lovely, relaxing, and again the weather was gorgeous. So out walking in Chicago, whenever that's nice, everyone in the city's out. So I saw people a little aggressive. It was like maybe sixty, maybe sixty-two yeah. degrees, and some people I thought were a little aggressive with their shorts. But yeah. um, you know, people will do it in the Midwest when it gets sunshine. Yeah, yeah. If it's forty here in Denver, they'll your kids are in shorts and t-shirts for some reason. <laughs> But it, it, I mean, Denver, I mean, again, it's my home, so I'm, I'm all in <laughs> it's way. I mean, I think that the sun there tends to be a little bit nicer than the sun. Traditionally, the Midwest, when it's sun during the winter, I think it's um, cold. It's like that false sense of security. Yeah. <laughs> well, the air is so fresh. You just feel, you feel like right. it's summer. Right. That's yeah. exactly correct. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our guest. I mean, Matt, we just had an amazing interview with Amy Sand. She's one of our friends from college, um, you know, we've known her for over 20 years. And so, but just really getting to hear her story of, of kind of growing up some of the foundational um, people that had an impact on her, you know, at the start of it, and then throughout and just some of her lessons and some of her challenges and um, struggles, but yet just how she overcame, like it was just, I thought it was an amazing, amazing interview. Um, so I'm really excited. Amy, ultimately, just as an introduction, she was, you know, born and raised in Iowa on a farm initially. And so she just kind of had that traditional Midwest um, upbringing. 
Um, and then she attended Coe College, which is where Matt and I got the, the chance to meet her. And so that was that was lovely. And she now works for a publicly traded real estate investment trust. And she'll she'll get a little bit more into that, but really the conversation in the interview is is really set Amy up about what she learned along the way, whether it's you know the role that she's in today or personally and professionally. And so those are the life lessons that I think are most the valuable takeaways. Um, anything else you want to add, Matt, before we get started? There's just a couple things, just because I'm I'm the I'm always the dummy in the conversation. She she used the phrase REIT. So when you hear her say REIT, it's a real estate investment trust. Um, and that's and that's the world that she lives in. And she talked about JLL a lot. That's Jones, Lang, LaSalle. So if you want to look any of those up, you guys can look it up online. But uh, pretty, pretty amazing life she's had. And I, you know, I know Amy and I know her really well and I know her story really well. But I man, I learned a ton today. Um, if she was on a stage talking as a motivational speaker today, man, I would have left ready to go rule the world. If I was reading her book, I would have walked away ready to tell everybody about that book because what she's learned and how she articulates that is fantastic. So I think everybody's going to enjoy this. And if you've got a young son or a young daughter, this is the one to have them listen along with you on this one because they're going to they're going to get some great nuggets for their future. Agree. And with that, let's go ahead to our interview. Um, Be Significant with Amy Sands. Amy Sands, welcome to Be Significant. We're so excited to have you on. It's like a little mini co-college reunion. Um, So um, we're excited to have you. I mean, I know Matt's been looking forward to this. Matt gets to talk to us, you know, periodically, me a little bit more now than you know you but thanks for coming on yeah thank you for having me i'm super excited about this so i want to get started one of the things i think is great our fans got a little bit of an intro around you know who you are and your background but um really want to learn a little bit more about your origin story you know just kind of tell us where you you started and some of those pivotal moments that you think are a real key that got you to the role you're in today so if you could just walk us through that that would be great yeah, so do you want me to start with where I'm from, that I where I grew up, all of I that? So. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, we've already announced you as the small town um, girl from Iowa, farm girl, I think we actually put. So let's go ahead and start there. Great. All right. So I did grow up um, in a small town in Iowa, 500 people. I believe Matt Rogers can relate to that, too. <laughs> I, I was a metropolis. We were 2,000 people compared to Oh, you. I was only a quarter of your population. That's right. <laughs> but I think we got we got to 2,000 in Lean, Illinois by counting the cows and the pigs and the cats and dogs. There's no way there were 2,000 people in my town. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So you guys totally fudged it. We're staying true in Delhi. That's right. You actually counted the people. <laughs> yes. So 500 people, but I also grew up on a farm. Um And one of the things, as I was thinking about what I was going to tell you guys, like pivotal things that um, I guess is part of my childhood is my parents both were really hard workers. My dad was a farmer and he also worked in a factory growing up. And I can remember for a lot of our childhood, he actually worked seven days a week. So my mom really raised us. My mom always told us that she could move mountains, 
but both my parents always told us also that we could do whatever we wanted to do and be whatever we wanted to be. You know, hard work will get you anywhere, but taught us a belief in ourselves. So that stuck with me um, kind of all throughout my life and all throughout my career too. And if we fast forward, um, I had a graduating class of 57. So when I chose which school I wanted to go to or college after high school, I felt very comfortable with co-college, which is where obviously I met you two. Um, I applied to University of Iowa. I think I applied to Iowa State um, and also another small school in Cedar Rapids called Mount Mercy. But I never really was interested in the larger schools. I really wanted to go to a small school. Um, and then fell in love with Co when I visited the campus and everything. So getting to Co was pivotal because it opened my eyes, obviously, to there being more than just Iowa and you could do anything with a degree. Um, I went on Washington term my junior year, I think it, or sorry, it was the first semester of my senior year. And getting away from home and school and really having to kind of manage, even though you manage your own schedule at Co, like, I think it was more about being so far away from my family too, because my parents are a little bit of helicopter parents. They were there a lot, making sure we were okay. They did it with all three. I have three other siblings, two sisters and a brother, and they're awesome and they're great, but they were definitely making sure that they were, you know, watching us all the time. And if something happened, they're able to drive there and help us and get us whatever we needed. So amazing parents, but going to Washington DC for a semester, I think it, helped me grow up and mature in a lot of ways. Um, and when I, so I went out there to be um, a legislative assistant for a representative in Iowa, and I absolutely loved it. My degrees in college were business administration and poli-sci, and I had decided I wanted to go to Washington term and pursue this and totally thought it was amazing. And that one day I was gonna be the president of the United States. Um, and I came back and I was offered a job um, as a legislative assistant for the representative, which incidentally was all men. Again, I don't know why I choose these careers where it's almost 100% men, but um, that entire office was all men, but they had offered me um, at a legislative assistant role. And I think it was like $19,000 a year to live in Washington, D.C., which wouldn't even cover living expenses. And so my parents were like, you can pursue this, but at some point, like, when are you going to be able to make enough money to live on your own? Like, you're, you're going to have to figure that out. So I decided I was going to go the business route. And my first job out of college for six months was working for MCI. And then they had gotten, um, they merged with WorldCom and I got laid off. Um, but so that kind of that's why I pursued the business route and I made $36,000. So it was either 19,000 or 36,000. And I was like, I got to take this, the business route, but it kept me in Cedar Rapids. Um, 
and now I'm just going to go backward a little bit in time. When I got back from Washington term, second semester of my senior year, I met Andy Strom. And I started dating this guy who grew up in LA and his dad was a heart surgeon. His mom was a big time like C-level executive for different companies. Um, and I got to know him well and his family well. And I can remember in college, and Beth, you probably remember this too, Andy's mom was on the cover of Forbes magazine as like one of the most successful C-level execs. Um, in the business industry. And it struck me as like, holy cow, like, and at the time, you know, over 20 years ago, there were less women in the C-suite than there are now. And so I loved when Andy's parents would come to town or we would go visit them and just being around such successful people. Like I really, really wanted to be like Andy's mom. Um, and get to that level someday. So he played, a pivotal role because when I lost my job at MCI, he talked me into coming to Chicago to find a job there. Um, and his parents set me up with a bunch of people. Like uh, I had a ton of interviews here. I also used Co to, I went back to the, um, what is that called? The department that helps. Career services. Yeah, career services. Yeah. And they helped me, set me up with interviews too. But the one interview that I got all by myself, and I don't remember how I did this. I remember when you, you go online, there are different job sites. But anyway, it was with General Growth Properties, and they had an analyst role. Um, and I didn't really understand what General Growth was, but I went on to the website, and they own shopping centers. They own Lindale Mall. So I immediately was like, I know how to shop. I can do this job. I love that mall. That's where we went shopping as kids, right? I had no idea what an analyst meant, but I just knew I'd be able to do it because I love to shop and, you know, the mall resonated with me. So I had a series of interviews um, in Chicago. And the one I really, really wanted again was with general growth properties. Like I was like, I just have to get this job. I have to get it. <clears throat> and I was so proud of myself for finding it online. Um, and I didn't get it through anybody's help. I did it all by myself. And that was ended up being the job I would take. So that's how I started my real estate career. And it brought me to Chicago. Um, I was a roommate with Beth. Um, I moved in with Beth right away. And obviously, Beth was also, you know, wishing and hoping, I think, that I'd get laid off from MCI and <laughs> it would take me to Chicago. But the I know the real reason I came is because I was dating Andy, obviously. I don't like to tell people that, like I moved for a guy. But if it weren't, he just kicked off a series of events in my life that he'll never, <laughs> if Andy Strom ever listens to this, he'll be like, oh my God. But it kicked off a series of events knowing his family and his mother that coming to Chicago, I had could have never had any idea you know, the kind of real estate career I would have. Incidentally, you know, Andy and I broke up probably eight or nine months after that. So, um, but that started- You got what you needed out of him. Yeah, that's what I, I got what I needed out of him. And that's how I got <laughs> Chicago. I, 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 want, I want to stop you for a sec. Cause I, this is, I think this is really a, a big point. You talked about your mom 
being your rock, moving mountains, telling you kids from day one, you can do whatever you want. Then you got to see Andy's mom. You got to see what, kind of what that looked like. Yeah. that mountaintop looked like. At what point in your career did you truly believe what your mother was telling you? At what point did you like, I, I can do whatever I want. I can be a C-suite. I can run this company. I can do it all. At what point did you believe it? So, you know, it's funny, like truly believing it and just doing it are, are kind of two different things. So I probably didn't truly start believing that until I saw real success in selling shopping centers. Um, so I was in, God, how do I, so from general growth, I had a couple of other um, jobs before, or I had general growth and I went to equity office properties. And then um, I finally got to the brokerage firm and I, at the brokerage firm that JLL, which was previously HFF, but JLL acquired them. That's when, so I would say 1999 is when I started at GGP in 2007 is when I started at HFF JLL. And that's when I knew I could do anything because I had mentors and advocates along the way, like constantly telling me that I could do stuff. They're always like, you're built for more and for great things. You just have to believe in yourself. So I learned kind of the technical skills at General Growth. And then I was at Equity Office Properties. They owned um, office properties where General Growth was all retail. And I worked in the investments group. So that's where I learned how to really value properties. And that was for like 18 months before the company got sold. And I was recruited over then to the brokerage side of the house. And they let me, after starting as an analyst at HFF, they let me start the retail platform in Chicago. Um, I had caught, come on to the brokerage firm as an analyst and they're like, after, so 2008, the market crashed. And then in 2012, um, I put a business plan together and started our retail platform. And that's when I knew I could do anything because I, for five years, I was an office analyst. I didn't have the contacts in the retail. I wasn't underwriting retail properties. And they asked me to put a business plan together. And I did that. And I can remember going in and meeting with them. And they didn't even really look at it, the, the two guys that ran the office. And I remember Matthew Lawton, who he's on the executive team today, and he played a really pivotal role also in my career success. But he put it, his glasses were down on his nose. And he looks up, you know, and he's like, it's yours, go start it. And I was like, oh my God, what does this mean? Like, I have to start. And I did that. And it's one of those things where you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and you just make it happen. And you figure out like, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you have to be resourceful and you have to know who to reach out to for help and to figure out how to get this all together. So that's when I knew if I could start something from scratch right after, you know, the great recession and then build it to the number one team in the, uh, Midwest, I was like, I can do anything. But it took, I mean, that 1999 to around 2012, that's how long it took before I really felt I could do anything. But I also started to work with people that I feel like truly cared about my success. 
And don't get me wrong, I love general growth and EOP, but those were such massive companies and you're sort of like a cog in the wheel there. You know, you're doing your thing and you have a manager, that manager reports to a director and it just keeps going up. It was, these were big companies and I loved especially like my colleagues at those companies, but it wasn't the same as when I came over to the boutique brokerage firm HFF and the people there truly, truly cared about my success. That's awesome. Can you connect that little girl who, you know, you weren't little, you were 22 years old that loved to shop in Lindale Mall. And can you connect her to where you're at now? And that dream of, you know, the idea of I'm going to go, I can, I can, I can shop. I can, I can buy things. Yeah. Connect those two. <laughs> Yes. So it's interesting, right? Because everybody wants to be in a career that they love and do things that they love. And not everyone gets that opportunity or is fortunate to do it. So I feel extremely fortunate that I learned how to make a career out of something I truly love. And if you ask anyone, they'll tell you that Amy loves to shop. Like I have a wardrobe that I can't even fit in my closets like they're busting out the door so i'm really good at shopping now do i shop for my role no but i buy shopping centers so that make us money so i can still afford to shop right so i've linked it all it's all relative it's all relative yes but if i take my 22 year old self it, you know, when I thought I was walking in and I was going to learn how to, I don't know what, something was shopping, but being an analyst and learning the building blocks of finance is taking me really far throughout the industry. Um, so if I back up to general growth, I was a financial analyst there um, and I learned how to um, build pro formas to redevelop shopping centers refinance mortgages on shopping centers and a little bit with acquisitions and dispositions of shopping centers. And then a friend of mine who incidentally, this will be the third company we worked at together. His name is Mike Fitzmorrison. He's now the CFO of RPT Realty where I'm going, but we started out at General Growth as analysts together, sitting right beside each other in cubes, building our careers together. And he went to equity office properties then to work solely on acquiring um, and disposing of office property. So like acquisitions and dispositions, investments. And he's like, you should come over here. He's like, it's really fun and it's a whole different focus. And I'm like, all right, sure. So I interviewed and I got the job over there and I was like, this is going to be really cool, right? Well, then the company got bought. So it was, I was only there for like 18 months. Um, and then HFF, the way HFF was helping the company that was buying this REIT, um, helping them like buy it, I guess, from Sam Zell's equity office. And so they got my name from the investment guys that I was working with. And so they kept calling and I was like, no, I don't want to be on the brokerage side of the house because I didn't like how when we were putting together packages to sell properties, I didn't think we were the friendliest to the service side of the industry. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to stay on the ownership side. And I had gotten, I contacted General Growth again to go back there. And I was going to be a junior developer 
of shopping centers, which I thought was fantastic, right? We were going to build these shopping centers or we were going to redevelop them into something grand with multifamily or whatever it might be. Um, and I all but signed the line, dotted line, and I finally told these guys they would not stop calling me. And I was like, fine, I'll come in and I'll talk to you. And they weren't selling it very well, Matt. They kept saying, um, we're going to work you really hard. You're not going to have a life, but we'll pay you a lot of money. And I was like, that sounds like it sucks. I'm like, I want a life. So anyway, I was like, these guys won't stop bothering me though. So I'm just going to come in and interview. And I had to interview with the entire office. So I probably interviewed with 15 or 20 people that day. It was small at the time. And I fell in love with the company and the culture and the family aspect of it. And the harder you work, the more money you can make. So I could not believe it, but I called General Growth and was like, look, I am not coming back. Like I'm going to go do this. And I'm so happy because that was 2007, 2008 market crashes, general growth goes into bankruptcy. I would have lost my job like that. So it's weird. It's so weird because I was very set on going back there. Um, but then it kicked off my career on the brokerage side. And so for five years, I worked on the office team. And then in 2012, I started the retail platform for HFF. Um, and then 10 years doing that basically on the sales side. And I had a partner that came up from our Dallas office of HFF. It was roughly two years after I'd been doing it. And we really built this into the powerhouse it was today. And then we got acquired um, in 2019 by Jones Lang LaSalle, JLL, the whole cap, like our entire company. And um, which made it actually better because Jones Lang LaSalle has all these different service lines that became very helpful to the capital markets group. And then um, at the end of last year, they had been talking to me for, gosh, I guess now is probably the last 18 months that they wanted to make me a co-lead of the Chicago capital markets office, um, which would put me on leadership for JLL. Um, to give you some perspective, the capital markets group, there's around 600 to 650 um, what we call producers, like either on the sales side, raising equity. They're not analysts. They're the people going out doing something similar to what I do. Um, less than 50 of those people are women. Um, so I already knew that I had made it right, like as far as I had gotten success wise um, in the industry, but they approached me to co-lead. It was, and at the time it was the second largest office within JLL. So um, I was like, this is awesome. I'm like, I would be one of the only women in leadership, which was also like a huge deal to to get on the leadership team finally and lead one of the biggest offices within the system. Even at Christmas, that's huge. Hey, I was curious, you know, and this is what I think, I was very much like you. And I, I remember the statement you said is, you know, uh, back in the day, Andy and his mom kind of, they connected you and networking. And yep. one of the things that I would be very proud that you got that GGP role all on your own. But what I also know is, I think we forget and especially like we always want to do things on our own. And I think we underplay the value of networking. And again, you still have to earn everything you get, 
but it's okay if somebody's willing to lend you a helping hand. Cause when I heard your story about all of these mentors and people that continue to get those 12 years before you believed it, you were like, Oh my gosh, there's people telling me and encourage me along the way. And that's almost, but you're still doing the work and earning it. I feel like some people feel like taking a networking opportunity or that helping hand or that connection is not earning it. And so can you kind of walk through a little bit of that misconception? I doesn't downplay your capability and what you did on your own, your accomplishment, but almost like that's how we get to where we are. And I think you are number one in saying, I didn't get here on my own. And yes, I worked really hard, but I did it with the mentoring and help of others. Can you walk us through a little bit of that, like for you and how you've learned to kind of take advantage? Yes. Yes. So my, um, my old boss at the firm, Jeff Bramson, who hopefully Beth will meet someday. The reason I even got the opportunity to lead the office because he was tapped to go to our LA office to really build out the investment sales platform in LA and him leaving opened up the position for me to fill it. But Jeff has been instrumental in my life, pushing me whenever I thought I couldn't do something or I was scared to do it or, um, I just plain, I was like, I don't want to do it. He's like, you'll do it. And I'll give you some examples. But a saying he's famous for is that we stand on the shoulders of giants. None of us get here by ourselves. Like my success, I've, I truly believe that I've absolutely earned it, but I did not get here all by myself. And I know that. Um, and one of like, a few different things that have happened along the way, um, especially like public speaking is a big deal in my space. And when I tell you it's my least favorite thing to do, it's absolutely unequivocally my least favorite thing to do. And, but they would never let me stop doing it. And I, so Jeff Bramson, Jamie Fink, Matthew Lawton, and Mike Cavanaugh were my four biggest supporters within that firm. Um, Matthew Lawton is now an executive, or he has been an exec, like on the um, executive team. So he really helps formulate what happens in capital markets. But a long time ago, he ran the Chicago office before he got promoted. Jeff Bramson took his spot. And so everybody's always kind of pushing up um, in the firm. But things that they've done, for instance, they had me give a big, um, we call it a capital markets overview as it relates to retail, but a big speech about retail to 500 of our best clients. And I was like, at first I was excited that they asked me to do it, but our CEO always comes in, who's the keynote speaker, and I'd be going on right before him. And he is really, really, really good. His name is Mark Gibson, and he's just he's probably one of the best public speakers. He's got to be one of the best public speakers in the country and he's exceptionally smart. So I knew if I was going to do this, I'd have to do it really well. And they were helping me put it together. But the night before I panicked and I was like, I can't do it. I was more afraid you guys of if I messed up in front of Mark Gibson, what that would do to my career than I was about all the clients in the audience. Right. But Mark was in town Jamie or uh, 
Jeff, Matthew, and Cab, they all went to dinner the night before, and they're like, what happens if Amy freezes on stage, right? Because when we go in as a team and pitch deals, you always have that pause guy. So if somebody starts getting tongue, like tangled with their words, somebody can jump in and save and help them. And they're like, we can't go on stage and help Amy if she, you know, if something happens and she freezes up there. But what they decided was that I'm so well liked that people would just forgive me if I mess up on stage. <laughs> so the morning of, um, they came into my office and it, it was like an 8 a.m. start date. And they, I was in there really early. I probably went in the office like at 6.30 practicing. And they literally came in my office, three of them. And they're like, um, Jeff was going to stand at the wall directly in front of me. Mike Cavanaugh, who he also co-led the office at one time and started our um, our first office in London. So he plays a huge role within the company and within my growth. But he sat in front of me at the table and then Matthew Lawton stood against the wall. And they're like, when you get nervous, the left wall, they're like, when you get nervous, look up at one of us and we'll calm you down. And I was like, okay, I'm thinking to myself, if I have to look at you guys, I'm in big trouble. Um, so, but I got through it and I knew I had crushed it. And Matthew makes me stand on stage and afterward, like everyone's kind of clapping, you know, you're over. And he goes, Amy, stay up on stage. And he says, um, he goes, I just want to take this moment to let you guys know this is Amy's first public speaking engagement, and we're so proud of her. She grew up through the firm, and he goes, I just want to take this moment and give her like a round of applause, and everyone stood up in the audience and was clapping for me, but talk about, right, like who does that for people? Like it's like I have been encouraged so much along the way and shown so much support and growth because you can't do this without advocates. Like Matthew was not a mentor. He was not showing me technical skills. Jeff and Jamie did because I originally reported to them because they sold the office properties when I started as an analyst. So they helped me with technical skills, but they were the ones in the room constantly promoting me when I wasn't around saying that I should get this or I would be good at this. Um, so Beth, that's a lot of what happened throughout the years because, you know, it's tough when you, when it's basically you eat what you kill as a producer and a salesperson. So if it doesn't work, you're not making any money. And there are times when these deals you're like at the, I don't know what you would call it, the one yard line or whatever. And you're like, I cannot get this deal over the finish line. It's going to die. And I go to those guys and I'm like, okay, this is what's happening. How do I get these people to make this deal happen? Because my whole thing is we got to get the fee in the door, right? You got to make this deal happen. Um, and they would never let me give up. They're like, you got to be creative, go back, talk to them, do this, do that. But like, and Jeff Bramson would always tell me, he's like, I taught you better than this. He's like, don't you dare give up. He's like, you go back and you figure this out. And just that constant encouragement all the time, like it made you feel empowered. And it reminds me of what my mom always said. You know, you can move mountains and her and my dad never gave up ever on anything. They're always encouraging, like if you had a bad day or and they couldn't really help with this business other than to constantly encourage me that I can make this happen. So you have to have people in your court 
all throughout your life. Let's 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 dig into that a little bit because as you know, Amy, I have a 13-year-old daughter. Okay. Yes. And 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 people that listen to this podcast are gonna go, my God, this guy's a sap if they don't know who I am. Cause <laughs> I'm gonna say this again because I said it for our last guest, but I, I love you and Beth. You two have been my sisters for 25 years and I care greatly about you. And I, you know, I it's funny as you tell your life story. I feel like I've been there for every step. I know, I heard, you know, I've, I know all this about you. I yeah. remember the, the, your trip to Washington. I remember, you know, everything that you were dealing with, with politics and what you were going to do with it. So that's amazing to me. I tell my 13 year old daughter, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of turn, turn the tide here. I, I tease her with this, but it's, it's almost like I'm, it's almost like the Manchurian candidate. I want this in the back of her brain. And I've, I've known you two since you were, you know, 18 years old. So I, you guys will understand where I'm going with this. I tell her all the time that boys are stupid. I said it on the, we golfed yesterday and I told her on the golf course, boys are stupid. Cause there was a couple knuckleheads, you know, on the golf course that drove by us. When, what I love about your story is that you have been surrounded by men. You've had to be the woman in the room with all these men. And I love that you're talking about the compassion and the empathy that you've received from these guys who are smart enough to look around and go, okay, wow, Amy is the only woman in here and how they've yeah. supported you and pushed you and haven't treated you like, you know, some girl, they've treated you Never. like a, a colleague that Equal. they expect yeah. you to push them just equally back because you're all trying to accomplish the same goal. So my, my point of this is, is how, how did you get to this point where you have the strength of who you are and what you've accomplished? And now you're going to take all those lessons you've learned and you're going to be the leader of this huge group. Okay. But also the empathy that you've learned from all these people. What, what, how what do is, I, how do you, what do you do with all that? You know, it, it seems like you've just, you've gotten that Cinderella story of you've, 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 you've checked all the right boxes. You followed your heart. You've, you've just the fact that you went and interviewed after you didn't think you wanted anything to do with that job, but you went and did it anyways, just go, okay, I'm going to hear them out. And then you followed your heart. What, you know, how does all that work together when we talk about significance? You know, so I, when I chose the real estate industry and maybe it would have been the same if I went down the political route, but when I chose the real estate industry, I immediately saw that there weren't as many, um, women as men. Now, when I was on the ownership side for general growth and EOP, there was a lot more. It happens to be um, the commercial side of brokerage where there's really very few women in those roles. But I didn't, I never let not seeing somebody like me in these roles hinder me. So my role models became the successful guys within the firm. I wanted to be like Matthew and Cav and Jeff Branson and Jamie Fink. So much so that when I started, I wore pantsuits every single day because they wore pantsuits. So I wanted to blend in with them. And I can remember 
several years into the job, we went to a presentation and there it was the first time I ever saw a woman on the other side because it was always me and all the men. So at first I was intimidated and then I wasn't because they never treated me any differently, right? Like I always was treated just like one of the guys. Um, and so I see this woman on the other side of the table and she's wearing a skirt. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. And we get out of it and we get in a cab and I say to Jeff and Jamie, they're talking about the deal, you know, and downlaid it. How do you think we did here? And I go, I have a question. And they're like, what? And I said, why was that woman wearing a skirt? And they both looked at me and they're like, what do you mean by that? And I was like, I've never seen another woman in the room. And then I go, why wouldn't she want to look like you guys? I said, that's what I want to do. And he, they're like, oh my God. They're like, we never even realized you felt that way. And they're like, you should use being a woman to your advantage because you stand out. You're like a secret weapon. They're like, obviously you need to dress professionally and appropriate, but if you're as smart as the men and as good as the men, what man wouldn't rather work with a woman instead of always working with all men, right? So they're like, you can dress any way you want as long as you're professional. So that was a, a, a interesting point for them and for me that I, I always recognized I was in a room with all men, but I never talked about it until I mentioned that other girl had a skirt on. And I literally was like, she should blend in. And they kind of gave me the license then to dress however I wanted. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't have anybody, there was no senior women for me to look up to. And I wanted to be successful in this and they didn't treat me any differently, right? Like, I didn't feel like because I was a woman, I had to work harder or longer, or I just wanted to be better. So I learned as much as I could. I spent time with them and I asked questions and they were my role model. Um, and the things that they taught me too was, if you walk into a room and you act like you're the analyst, you're going to be treated like the analyst. They're like, you need to walk in the room. And when you are the producer or you're the decision maker or you whatever, you walk in and that's how you present yourself. You teach people how to treat you by how you present yourself. Right. And I've been trying to teach young women like young junior producers and analysts that work for JLL, this one woman who's been a producer for a couple of years, she's like, I always feel like I get treated in the as the analyst in the room. And I said, do you feel like the analyst in the room? And she said, yeah. And I said, that's why you're being treated like that. I said, you need to walk in. And if you're the producer, you're leading the deal. You walk in with a presence and you lead the deal, you know? So part of it is you teach people how to treat you. I never let anything block like my mental well I don't see a woman doing this or this person doesn't look like me I was always like I don't care like this is what I want to do and I want to be successful at it so you have to like take that out of your mindset that either you know black woman's not doing this or an Asian woman's not doing this or a white woman's not doing this like you have to take all of that out and if you want to do it there's no blocks but it goes back to like my parents always told us we could do and be anything. And I, you know, my mom was always like, I can move mountains, girls. And so that's what I, that's what I knew. And so I just did that. And the other thing I think is really powerful is 
I used to constantly say too, like I wanted to be like these guys and they're all a little bit different, but I'm like, I want to walk into a room and have like a boom, the mic drops and people are like, holy shit. And one day I would say this to Jeff Bramson all the time. And one day he goes, stop saying you want to be just like me or Matthew or Jamie and Kat. He's like, you will never be like us. But he says, you can be the best damn Amy Sands you can be. He's like, people will want to do business with you and like you because you're authentic. So he's like, you can pull all these different attributes and you like how someone does something, but you have to wrap it in to Amy Sands and it has to come off real because if it doesn't, they're never going to believe it. So I was like, oh my God, just be the best version of Amy that I can be. And it worked. So that's like some of the advice I give I, I mean, I talk to a lot of young people coming up through the industry now and analysts and stuff. And probably my number one thing is be authentic because no one can do you better than you, no matter how much anyone tries. You have like in, in the skill set that you're innately born with, like if you use that, my I would say my biggest um, uh it's not a skill set, but probably attribute is being likable. Like I make friends like this and I don't have to try. I don't know what that is. So I'm that likableness is why people want to do business with me and why we get, you know, get hired on a lot of things. I obviously have to be able to do the job, but people want to do business with and work with people that they like. They don't have to be their best friends, but when you go into, into your office and you're spending eight to 10 hours a day there, you want to be around people that you like, not around a bunch of assholes. So the likableness, the being authentic, the belief in yourself, teaching people how to treat you is another big one. And I think about that still today, like when you're setting boundaries, if you don't set boundaries, people won't respect you, but people don't necessarily know that they're doing something wrong, but you have to teach them how to treat you. So. I love it. One of the things that I love is you know, again, when we've talked about it, it's like really playing to your strengths, right? Like being the best person you are, like authentically, what are the things you're naturally born with, you've learned, you're gifted with and and making that. But what I have also loved is some of the things that you put yourself in a really uncomfortable place to like, it's a skill set you had to learn. Public speaking, Mm -hmm. that example, I thought it was great. And so what are those pivotal points of, you know, yes, playing to your strengths, because you know, I, I've heard you and I talk to is like, you know, you're really good in front of the people. You have that likability. You have the knowledge to be able to sell what you need to do. But you've also surrounded yourself and built a team of people that had other strengths that you didn't have. And you didn't try to be that expert. You allowed them to be that expert. So the whole diversity of the team made this great team. But how do you kind of balance the knowing your strengths and where you spend your time in, you know, like playing to those strengths, but also still challenging yourself to learn something that's uncomfortable um, because you might have to do it. And that will get in the way of your elevation and meeting your career goals or your personal goals or what have you. Yeah. So that's another one of my like advice pieces of advice I like to give is get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's how you constantly grow and learn. I often will say to like, if I'm in a bad mood and I know I got to do something else, like I either have to, 
I, I have to get this deal over the finish line. I've got to convince these people to do it. And how am I going to do it? Or, or it's another public speaking thing that I have to do. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'll say, when do I not have to grow anymore? I'm tired of growing. And, and Jeff Bramson, my boss will be like, he's like, when you stop growing, you're complacent. And he goes, then you stop learning and you stop wanting to make yourself better. And I've never wanted that. Like, I suppose that's why they make retirement age so high, right? Because you finally get tired and you just sort of want to start coasting now. I love but that. like even taking this new role, like I have to learn everything about a public traded company, which is way different than what I had to learn before. So, and so first of all, get comfortable being uncomfortable, because if you want to keep growing and learning and taking your career to the next level, it's going to continuously happen because we can't know everything. And then Beth, to your point about surrounding yourself with people who have different skill sets. Like I learned not long ago too, that the best leaders in the industry, their kind of their cabinets or their executive teams are full of people that have the strengths that they don't have. Um, and they let those people flourish and be really good at those because it makes the whole team better. And I'm not a quant. Like, it's funny. I hated my finance and accounting classes in college. I thought they sucked. I liked management and marketing. Lo and behold, I'm in the finance world, right? And I learned how to do it, but I've had, I had a really good partner, Clinton Mitchell, who was a, he hates this, but he is, he's a super quant, but Clinton actually can use both sides of his brains and he's really brain and he's really good with people too but Clinton can do numbers like that like yields all sorts of things in his head and I'm like that's never going to be me like I'm not going to be able to calculate all this stuff or know like why these things are changing I'm going to have to see it on paper and do it that way but I'm okay with that I don't have to be the super quant but I have good intuition and knowledge so not being insecure right that's something that you have to learn over time too, because the things that I'm not really good at, I learned to be good at, but I'm not an expert in, and it's all right. As long as I can do all of it, but use my strengths to where, where it plays to me and what matters. I think you have to learn to not be insecure around people who are, are better at things or have like, you know, their brain is stronger in different areas. It just makes your team better. Like going over to RPT, there's a couple of girls that will um, report to me and they're, they very much are like Clinton, like super into the numbers and data and the details. Like I don't want quants, I think can give it kind of a negative aspect, but I know that I don't have to know all of every minutia and detail. I need to understand that the real estate that we're buying makes sense that, you know, I need, they need to be able to present things to me and I need to pick out if there's any kind of air and big picture and all of that, but I don't have to know the minutia behind every single little detail that those guys are responsible for. So I think it's being secure with who you are and, 
and learning how to let your team flourish and grow to the best of their capabilities because it lifts everybody. Everybody lifts at the same time. If if you're not being insecure and and the people around you are using their skill sets to the best of their abilities and not being handicapped or cut off because you're insecure about something they can do better. That's great advice. I mean, Amy, we can send this to you and you've got the foundation of a book. I mean, you could write your own book on leadership with just what you've given us in an hour. So I really appreciate it as a dad, husband, um, as a coach, somebody that teaches kids and tutors kids. It's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book right now and you, you said something about being uncomfortable and get comfortable being uncomfortable. I have a line in my book. It's about recruiting, about college recruiting for parents. And, and the line is commitment is definitely a pledge to do the uncomfortable. So if you're going to yeah. commit to something, you have to pledge that it's going to be uncomfortable to get there, right? Totally. If it's easy, then there's probably something wrong. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and I think it's already been done. Not- Everybody expects it. It's nothing new. There's nothing unique about it. If you're going to do something, you're going to commit to something, whether it's building your own business, taking on a job you never had, getting married, having kids, whatever this is, you have to make a pledge to yourself. This is going to be uncomfortable and I got to be okay. Yep. Right. Yep. That's a good one, Matt. I'm going to start taking that one now, but I'll give you credit for it. <laughs> no, 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 no. You said it a lot better than me. I'm going to steal what you said. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I also think it's great. Like also the biggest change you have. I mean, it's, I think what Amy says, I, that's been my slogan for many years is everyone, we're going to have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. So when yeah. you're trying to evolve from current state to something future, it's painful and everyone wants to go back to like, but this is how we've always done it. It feels good. And is it really broken? And I was like, well, you'll never break barriers or you never break down walls unless you just start driving through those walls with a bulldozer. And that sometimes is massively uncomfortable. And I think, you know, Matt, you put it like really in everything. And when you're taking the leap of faith for, you know, whatever you want personally or professionally, I think it's a brilliant sentiment. So, yes. Love it. I'm going to have, I, I, I wasn't planning on making my daughter listen to any of these, so, you know, like as punishment, but I'm going to have her <laughs> listen to this full one of you. So it's <laughs> every young girl or boy needs to listen to this because what you've given us from what how you've grown through this business world that you've built for yourself but also what you've gotten from the men you've encountered i i totally you know beth and i have talked a lot about i get really frustrated how men treat women it's 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 something that gets in my craw and drives me crazy so to hear that you've been surrounded by men in your career that have challenged you supported you been empathetic been honest been direct treated you like you're you're a pro in the room and expected you to be a pro in the room and told yeah. you they expected I yeah. just, that that makes my heart huge knowing that that you've had that and that you're passing it forward you know you're looking for opportunities to share that knowledge with the people that you encounter and you work with so i think it's great that's very true i'm told constantly that i've been given a lot i've earned it but i've been given the opportunities right and I need to give back like and I do like no one ever has to tell me that I need to give back but 
I want to because I didn't get here by myself. And it's really like this career has been amazing, but it's been difficult. And there's a lot of times where you're like, this is so hard. I don't want to do it anymore. And they would never let me give up. Never. That day I wanted to go, I didn't want to go on stage. And I was like, I'm not going on stage. And I've had more like that. And they're like, Amy Sands, you are getting up on stage and you will deliver that speech. And I'm like, okay. And so I get up on stage, but they made me, they taught me to never give up. You know, if you had, if they're like, okay, we get it. Like this sucks. You don't want to public speak. I would have taken that out in a heartbeat and they would not give it to me. So you have to like, sometimes when things are really tough to, and I'm sure you do this, Matt, with your children, but it, you you don't want to see them upset and you don't want to see them struggling and it hurts and you don't want them to cry. But it's like when you know something's going to be good for them, you have to keep encouraging them to go through it and to get through it because that's how they get better. Even though at the time I was like, I really was like, these guys suck. I'm like, I don't want to get up on stage, but they help me they help me so much. They have, and I don't think they actually realize how much they've done for me in my career, you know, and even they taught me the things like to walk into a room and how to command attention. And now when I walk in, I immediately, like people might be in the room, but they save the head of the table and I immediately just sit down like it's been my throne, right? Like they're waiting for me. And I, but those are the things I had to learn. Like I wasn't, I, you know, when you first start and you're an analyst, like you don't know to do that, but they watched me and they're like, no, this is how you need to present. This is how you need to act in front of people and all of that. So I, I give back. And if you ever want me to talk to your children, like I'm happy to do that and give advice. And sometimes too, it's the little inspirational things, right? Like hearing that I've been doing this a lot for, especially the analysts before I left JLL on Friday. And I'm like, if I can do this, if I can work for a publicly traded REIT where most of the people in that business either went to like you know, really nice Ivy League, whatever big schools used to have to have your MBA. And if I can become the executive vice president, head of investments for a public company, and I grew up on a farm in Iowa, you can too. Like everybody can do whatever they want to be in life. There's no barriers. The only barriers you have are the ones you give yourself. Yeah. You're the small town values that you and I share you know, and Beth got it from her parents, even though she grew up in a bigger city, but her parents really, and I don't think Beth will disagree, her parents really raised her with small town values. We care about everybody. Yeah, There's always going to be somebody at the side of the road that needs help. There's always going to be somebody that's hungry that needs a helping hand. Somebody's fallen down that needs to be lifted up. And I think when you come out of a small town and you go through what you've gone through into the big city, you forget how important that is until you get the opportunity to do it until someone's put you in that position say we want you to do that and be that person matt i have a favorite saying best heard me say this the other night but i'm going to read it greet the future with anticipation 
work hard, dream big, and never settle. Remember your roots, manners, and the way home. Text that. I will never, what? Text that to you? Yeah. Yep. I will never forget where I came from and the people that helped me get to where I am today. And it used, so another side story, Beth has heard this before too. And I said this, I actually talked to, I had to give a speech about my career to um, my high school at Maquoketa Valley in Delhi. This was, I don't, I think it was pre-COVID. Um, anyway, one of the things when we would travel to New York City, which is where we went most of the time for meetings, that's where like all the people that own these centers were from. And we would get in these meetings and right after the meeting, people would constantly ask me, where are you from? Even though they knew I was coming from Chicago, they'd be like, where are you from? And I'm like, Iowa. And they're like, Iowa. And they're like, no wonder you're so nice. And then they would be like, did you immediately? The next question was, did you grow up on a farm? And I'm like, yes. And it was like blown away. Cause you know, you're talking to these people that come from these elite real estate families or these big schools and all that. And they couldn't believe that I'd be sitting at the boardroom table with them. And then they're like, what school did you go to? But I started to realize I got it all the time until people finally what, you know, I wasn't meeting as many new people all the time. But we would win deals because the Midwest values and growing up on a farm resonated with people like hard work. And so instead of shying away from my background and where I came from, like, oh, I don't fit in, I used it to my advantage and I never felt insecure or ashamed that I came from, you know, growing up on a farm and it helped me win deals. So I took it and I found a, a huge positive in sharing the story constantly. Um, and it, it, again, it doesn't come up as much as it used to come up, but it came up all the time. And to the point where they're like, how, I mean, literally, like, how did you get here? Why are you sitting at this table with us? And I'd be like, I don't know, but look at you. And I didn't have to like, I didn't have to go to the same schools or do the same thing that you did. And I'm sitting here as well. So that's right. It's, it's amazing. And you didn't have to go to Harvard. You didn't right. have to go to the 30,000 year public private high school. You, know, yep. you didn't have to work your way up through a law firm or, you know, be at the top company in the country. You did it because you decided mm -hmm. that's what you wanted to do. And if you're going to do it, you're going to be great at it. Yes, right? exactly. I'm exactly. going to do it. I'm going to do it right. Yep. Yep. And, you know, there's, there's so many quotes we can take from this, but uh, we have, we've kept you a long time and what you've given us is amazing. And, you know, obviously we appreciate your friendship and I know Beth, uh, Beth's got one of our fun things that we're trying to do in every interview. So we're going to throw some, throw some wrenches at you and see how you handle it. Yes. <laughs> okay. We've got a little Q and A, we do call it rapid fire section. Um, okay. Again, you don't actually have to answer with like rapid fire. If you feel you want to elaborate, please do. Because again, these are just some fun things that we thought just make you who you are. Um, but we're going to kind of kick it off right now. Um, are you ready for this? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right, Matt, kick it off. This is a tough one for you because I'm not sure you're not doing already what you love but what would you do if you weren't doing what you're doing today what what other job could you see yourself doing so what I used to always want to do is be Katie Couric when she worked for NBC 
So now that Katie Couric's not on there, I don't watch regular TV or the news that often. But back when we were growing up, I wanted to be Katie Couric. I can see that. Absolutely. Amy, if you had to look back um, at your 21, 22-year-old self, what would you tell yourself now just so that maybe you can advance those lessons in it, you know, earlier? Oh my God, I would give myself all the advice that I had to learn along the way. Like I was like a data dump, like the analysts, they would come in in groups into my office and I would quickly start talking about like all the advice and do this and do that and be authentic and don't be afraid. Like, you know, what do you have to lose? Like try it and you learn from your mistakes. So I would absolutely, like if I could rewind all the way back to college, like, first of all, I still would never have done politics. So I would have left that behind in a heartbeat. And I would have tried to come to Chicago right away. Um, and I probably would have gone if I would had known that I was going to spend the majority of my career in brokerage. I would have done that right away, like been an analyst, because the the runway you have for the harder you work, the more money that you make. But I would have gone back in time and I would have sped up my career a lot faster instead of having to learn so much along the way. Um, yeah, but I, I'm super happy with where I am and what I'm doing, but I would have sped it up. Like I would have done everything faster and on a different time frame. Give us, give us a favorite book or podcast that you've been reading or listening to and tell us what's, what was significant about it. So, you know, I was just thinking about this morning that I should start listening um, to more podcasts and things like that. Like, I feel like when I was working all the time, which intense working, all I wanted to do, I like... I don't necessarily, I don't think I turned TV on all day yesterday at all. Sometimes like, I just like it to be quiet, but, <laughs> and I, I can spend a lot of time by myself too, ask Beth, especially when I get tired. I'm like, I can't hang out with everybody. Like I just I got need a to 10 be year old. I can send you if you, <laughs> but I, to be completely honest, I just downloaded that podcast, Beth, that you've told me about. And I've listened to you with you, um, with Jason Bateman, the smart list. Um, that one. Yes. So I really like that one, but I want to get into a lot more, like, I want to listen to more, uh, almost like helpful podcasts, whether that's in business or personal or, anything like that. But that's the one that I have been enjoying. I think soon you could just hit uh, be significant as a. Yes. Yes. And be significant. Great. Put that on your list. And plus I'm going to be taking public transportation, Matt, in New York. So I'm going to have a lot more time listening to that and also like start reading books again. I can't remember the last book that I've actually read for fun. I tried to buy the, um, the Jeff Bezos, like the everything store book. And I bought it, I got it, but I didn't make it through. I probably didn't make it past the first few chapters. And I was like, I'm too tired to read. I just want to sit and veg and either watch Seinfeld <laughs> or um, Frasier or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So what's your go-to comfort food? I can answer this for you. I think that you, you, you just, it brings you joy. 
Pizza. Yeah, I think always pizza. <laughs> I if that. I can get Beth to make it, it's her homemade pizza from her childhood that she used to have for all her birthday parties. I I, I think it was Fairy that made it, right, yeah. Beth? Or yeah. yeah. So yeah, I love 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 Beth's homemade pizza, but. I haven't met a pizza that I don't like. I will eat pizza every day of the week, all the time. I love it. Amy's favorite frozen pizza, and I think this is good for the pizza connoisseurs out there. Favorite frozen pizza. My favorite frozen pizza is Home Run Inn. I'm not sure that they sell that in New York, so that could be sad for me because I really do like Home Run Inn pizza. I love it. I love it. All right, give us a movie that you go to when you need a little pick-me-up or something you've watched a hundred times. What's your, what's your go-to movie? So I love Wonder Woman with Gail Godot or Gadot. Yeah, I don't know movie. how to say it. Yeah, I feel like it's very empowering when I need to, like, kick ass. I used to, like, watch that before big pitches or things like that. And along with that, one of my favorite songs is... Um, girl on fire or Katy yeah. Perry's roar. Like I like those girl empowerment songs. Do you like the new Miley Cyrus flowers? Have you heard that one? I haven't listened to that. I'm not I, Miley Cyrus. Like she's never been like a go-to for me, but maybe no. it, maybe she should be. All the women in my life have told me about flowers. So that's, Oh, so it must be really good. It's then, very right? empowering. Yes. Okay. I'm going to write that down, Matt. Yeah, just once you that. hear the, you may not like the song, but the lyrics are very, I got this. I don't need anybody. I can, I can, I can take care of myself. I can take care of myself. Yeah. All right, Amy, if you were queen, and I could probably answer this for you too, but I'm curious to see if we have the same answer for you. Uh, if you're queen for a day, what would you change or implement today? Oh God, what would I change or implement? I really hate all the injustices and stuff that happen. I sometimes I'm like, would I like Pleasantville? Have you guys ever seen that movie? Yeah. I'm like, I think I might like living in Pleasantville where everything <laughs> is nice and happy and everyone gets along well. Um, I like to just, I, I like to help and empower people. And I just hate like when people, I hate when people hurt each other and, like, I just can't stand that. So I would probably be wronging all the injustices. I'd be giving all, like, the money away from the kingdom to make sure that everybody is doing well and flourishing and eating and happy. And I don't know if that's what you'd say about me, Beth, but. I would. I think that's 100% how you've lived your life is fighting those, what you can control those injustices in your space. So I think that's pretty much what I would have said for you. So. And now I want to get you back into politics because we need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You've given us a ton of great advice today. You really, there's so many nuggets uh, that we've talked about, but if there, is there one piece of advice that, that you've been given and, and you can repeat something you've already said, but is there one piece of advice that really, that you got from parents, employees, workers, bosses? Is there one piece of advice that you get and that you hold true to your heart? So, you know, there is something that I have to sometimes like remember to think about. I was also told that 
especially when people are upset, they're not, what comes out of their mouth isn't necessarily what they mean or how they're feeling. So over the years, I've realized how important EQ is. And I don't know if you can necessarily teach people emotional intelligence or if you just intuitively have it, but mine's gotten a lot sharper, right? Because when you're negotiating deals, you're playing a lot of therapy and empathy and you're listening to what the trigger buttons are on both sides trying to make these deals happen. So what someone says isn't necessarily how they feel, right? Like someone might get really mad about something, but it's really because their feelings were hurt. So it's sort of like they're, you reading between the lines, like that issue might not actually be how they really feel. Just so what they're communicating to you is not what actually is happening and how they feel. Um, so that's something I would encourage people to like, just because they're stating something might not actually be like how to actually deal with the issue. I do think that it, you had like the EQ plays a lot into that. But I used to, I remember when like things would happen at work and I would go running into my boss's office, like Jess or something. I'd be like, this person said that and this is wrong. And, da, da, da. and he's like, you're not listening, Amy. He's like, that's not really what the issue is. He's like, just because they communicated it that way to you, you need to listen and you listen kind of with you, obviously with your ears, but with facial expressions and like, like the tone of the voice. And so being a good listener, you learn a lot. You don't have to always be the person talking in the room. I think having listening skills along with all the other like advice I've given. And I, that's something I try to impart on the analysts too, that, when you talk, if you say something meaningful, that's impactful or value add, we like to say, that goes much further than if you're talking the whole time just to hear yourself talk. Because even though you think that you're looking like, you know, the person that's adding significant value and like, I don't know, I want to call it the big shot in the room. But really, everyone's looking at you like, why is this guy talking? He's just a bunch of hot air. So I think really listening and understanding issues and things that people communicate to you also eventually makes really strong leaders. I love that name. Well, that is the end of our rapid fire. You passed successfully. Well done. <laughs> it was a time. I'm just but we're getting ready to close off and just thank you for, um, again, spending the time with us. We know, again, I know you're kind of in between, but now you're getting ready to do this big move to New York. And so just taking the time that you've spent with us to give this insight and a little bit of your story is awesome. So big thanks to you. Um, Matt, you have anything else you want to say before we let Amy? Oh, it's been a joy. Every time I get to talk to you, it's been a joy. But it seems like whenever the three of us are together, we we uh, we always have significant conversations, and I always come away happier and stronger and smarter. So I'm, I'm Me too. Proud of you and love you, and so excited about your next journey, and um, looking forward to seeing how everything goes. I know you're going to tear it up and do well. But thanks for today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. I, I'm honored that you would ask me to do this. So Matt, what did you think of our friend Amy Sands? Well, you, you and I both know what hopefully our audience now knows how impressive she is. And, you know, it, it, 
does it matter where she grew up and yes no but the fact that she's taken everything she's been given and what she's made out of it is so impressive um what a role model um you know and that's how my brain is always thinking is how do we make young people more prepared for life how do we make them more prepared for the world and boy what a great story and the nuggets that she gave us were fantastic and you know i'm i'll be meeting with about 40 parents and student athletes here this wednesday and there's about 10 things i'm going to use and, sh and share with them about their future and what we're going to do together so pretty cool what'd you what'd you take away from it I mean, again, I've known Amy, obviously, as long as you, and then probably, you know, she's one of my uh, yeah. closest confidants, which is, which is excellent. So um, we've, you know, definitely been there for each other just through like, okay, I need to pick your brain and I just need to vent. And then yeah. maybe you might have advice or maybe again, she talked about listening or just listen and then be like, okay, what else, what else do you need? You know? So, yeah. but I think, I mean, I learned something new from her all the time. I mean, she's definitely very inspiring. I think it's great. I also thought, what you know again the three of us have, have been fortunate enough to just have these really amazing parents that kind of grounded us in our upbringing throughout that but i also think for those that might not have had that level of you know inspiration within their parents traditionally i think don't be afraid to like find it i mean if you see of amy's stories the mentors and the people along the way that could help her right where she's at that she leaned on that she was vulnerable with yeah we talk a lot about vulnerability but I think that's a strength, you know, of her just saying, I don't know, and I need help, or I'm struggling with this, and how they encouraged her and helped her, but still pushed her in the edge. I think that's a great lesson. So don't think if I didn't have dot, 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 you know, if you're taking that lesson, but just say, who's around me, or who do I see that I want to get to know more? I mean, one of the things I've had is I had a gentleman reach out to me on um, LinkedIn, and this was years ago, I want to say maybe now eight years ago. And just reached out and said, you know, curious, uh, don't know if you'd respond, but I liked your background and I liked how you went from this part of your career to this part of your career. Would love the opportunity to have a quick phone call with you if you're up for it. And that caught me and he was very specific. You know, I'm being very general in, in the description, but that caught me. And I was like, happy to have a discussion. And I still, we still discuss today. He's now married with kids and um, we still keep in touch. And it's just like, take that bold move and somebody might not respond or, or they might. And you never know how that relationship, again, we both learned from each other and it's fantastic. So don't think that that's going to limit you, you know, just look around you and there's always, whether it's a teacher or a coach or, you know, which we learned from our other podcast with Brian, I think it's right. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It just Amy's humility is just hammers home and even the, I still don't know who, where this quote came from, but the idea that humility means not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less. And I think Amy epitomizes that. Agreed. You know, I can't worry about me all the time. I have to look around me and go, okay, what's going on? You know, where, where can I make a difference? How can I help my company? How can I help my friends? How can I help my family? You know, and, and just paying attention, like she said, listening. Sometimes somebody's upset about something and they're saying things, but really that's not what they're upset about. So I thought that was all great and just, just impressive stuff. And I thought it was a great conversation. 
Well, on the back of that great interview, we just want to thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can find our podcast email in the notes section of your platform. You can also email us at significant the number four, you at gmail.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and any questions you may have for Matt or me. In addition, if you like what you've heard, please click subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts and keep an eye out for our new episodes that will be released on most Mondays. Next week, we'll be interviewing Alan Thompson, the chief administration officer for a large international law firm headquartered in Chicago. This gentleman was born in London and through hard work, he might say luck, timing, and strong mentorship, he's gotten where he is today. We're both looking forward to that interview. With that, don't let life happen to you. Make it happen. And don't forget to be significant. We'll see you next time.